0: My name is Caleb, and um, we're going to be sharing a class today called conversational evangelism. And so, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the ministry agents for Christ and how it started. Um, so it was started by two couples, Dave and Deanna Chafee, and Deanna Chafee is right over here, um, and Bill and Danielle James. And the ministry started 15 years ago when uh, when they felt called to be missionaries uh, in the U.S. So to go around the U.S. and share the gospel. And so they left, they sold everything they had and they went on the road for about three and a half years sharing the gospel. They sent out four hundred letters to churches asking just if any church would want them to come share and encourage the body on how we're called to share the gospel. And they had four churches respond to them. So they they went out and they started they started sharing at those four churches and God just continued to open the door um for several years, and he provided everything they needed on the way as they just traveled around in RVs. And they would share the, the gospel anywhere, Walmarts, gas stations, um, all, all along the way. And um, after after about three and a half years, uh, they felt something different was coming. And so Dave and Deanna actually went on staff up at Calvary Chapel Southeast Portland, uh, if any of you know Doug Snow up there, the senior pastor. I know John is a good friend of his. Um, but so Dave became the worship pastor and the youth pastor there. And he did outreach, uh, in, in East Portland there with Deanna. And Bill and Danielle, they continued to travel around the U.S. for a short time until they were called to Uganda. And so they went off over to Uganda. And during that time that Dave and Deanna were in Portland, they started, they were working at a children's project for about two years. And uh, then the Lord opened the door for them to move out into the bush in Ashunga, Uganda, and over there they were, were able to acquire a piece of property. And uh, Pastor John just shared how they they literally pitched two Walmart tents on a hillside, and from that, seven years later, now it has become a school to over three hundred kids. It has a medical center, it has a church, and God and it's touched honestly hundreds, if not thousands, because they brought water into the surrounding towns. Um, it's, it brought power in. You know, it's completely revolutionized this area. Um, so God is just doing amazing things. Um, after Dave and Deanna, at, after about eight years, um, they moved down to New Mexico and started what is, the, this is called the 10th Hour Project. And so it's an eight-month discipleship program for young adults, ages 18 to 26, 27. And so uh, Four months are spent in the U.S. Of those four months, two months are spent in New Mexico studying, uh, the Bible, apologetics, just biblical studies, and the other about month and a half, two months is spent on the road going, traveling around the U.S., and that's what we're doing right now. We're on our west coast tour, and then we're gonna be actually leaving tomorrow and starting to make our way for the east coast. But we share the gospel wherever we go, because we're called to live a life on mission. Amen? You know, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have gone to Bible school or anything. Jesus called us all to share the gospel. So we just travel around, share the gospel. And then after the four months in the U.S., the students go off to Uganda to the project over there, and they served there for three months. And there's so many things going on there that they dis- discipling the children and many other things. Um, but w- today we're going to share with you uh, a conversational evangelism class, and uh, I'm going to um, go into the oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go into the essentials for sharing the gospel. And the first essential is, is faith. And there's five essentials. And faith, number one, we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to share the gospel. And it takes faith to share the gospel. It takes trusting God to know that He's gonna do something. Love. 1 John 3.23, and this is His commandment, that we believe on the name of His only Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. Love, we will be known by our love. That's what Jesus said. So when we share the gospel, everything must be done in love. It takes obedience to share the gospel. We it, it takes actually taking a step, that faith and then obeying, stepping off out of our comfort zone, trusting that God's going to do something. takes boldness, which can only come through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. We, we can't muster it up on our own. Um, you know, there's many times I go out to share, even when we're sharing all the time, and I'm afraid, I'm timid. But the Spirit gives the power. And then prayer. Of course, our whole lives... Must be bathed in prayer. You know, first, or first or second Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. And so, in evangelism, we must always be praying for God to open the doors, for God to move in the hearts of people. Because without Him, nothing will happen. Without His Spirit. And so, I'm going to invite Paul up here to open us up with our first essential faith. Praise God! Wow, that's loud. As you guys have heard, my name is Paul.
1: Uh, I'm from New York. Upstate New York, a little town called Seneca Falls. It's totally okay if you don't know where that is. I barely know where that is half the time. So we're going to be talking about our first essential, faith. Why is faith essential to conversational evangelism? You can't share something that you don't have. If we don't know Jesus, if we have not experienced his love, therefore we don't have a relationship with him, how can we share that very thing, that freedom that we find in Christ, if if we've never experienced it ourselves? Your faith in the Word of God is essential. Now, where do we learn? Where do we learn? We learn from the Word. And if you don't believe in the Word, how can you learn? How can you know? You know? It's just, it's in faith in Him, which we have a relationship with Him, and faith in His Word. And we have um, a relationship with Him. And if we don't believe in these two things, we can't we can't really share the Gospel. Uh, do you believe that when a person dies without faith in Jesus Christ, that they go to hell? Well, you should, if you believe in the second one, which is his word. Uh, it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everyone knows Everyone knows John 3.16, I'm sure. But in John 3.18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but the... Uh, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When we share the gospel, it's called the gospel of peace. It's because every man that isn't, in, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus is at war with God. That is why it's called, uh, you know, you showed your feet with the gospel of peace so that they might not be at war with God that they would have a relationship with God know this love that we've experienced in a relationship with Jesus and that they stand condemned Jesus says I did not come into the world that uh, to condemn the world but that they would find life and don't we want to share this life that we have experienced with the world I know I do uh, but not all the time. Uh, I actually want to. It's a it's a drive from the Spirit. It's by abiding in Him that He makes me want to. Because when I'm walking in the flesh, I I, I want to take a nap on the couch. I I want to watch a movie. And um, but it's to surrender to Him, saying, "I believe Your Word. Therefore, I I believe You, and I'm going to go tell someone about Jesus." Which brings us to our second essential love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's 1 John 4, 8. Uh, Agape, Greek word here for love, which refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. The highest good that I've ever received in my life is a relationship with Jesus, is freedom from my sin, and the fact that I have hope for a heavenly mansion, that after I die, I know where I'm going, that I'm going to be clothed in immortality. That is my hope. And that is the the highest good I've ever received. Therefore, I desire that. If I'm loving to my neighbors, if I'm loving to the world, I desire that for them as well. Therefore, I share the gospel. That is is our um, goal as Christians. Once we've experienced this love, we share this love. Amen? Let's go. Come on. <laughs> uh, the word love does, is twisted today. Love does not mean agree with. True love demands truth. The greatest way to love someone is to tell them about Jesus. We'll see so much today with young young kids. They'll, they'll say, I love you. But they, they make it in a way that's agreeing with people. You know? Say they're stuck in their sin, right? And it is unloving for me to agree with them that they would stay in their sin. I, I was addicted to pornography for a time. And... It would be unloving for someone to say, you're good, Paul. Stay. You can stay there. And they don't tell me the gospel. They don't tell me the truth. They don't tell me how to be free from my sin because I'm in bondage. So the greatest way to love someone is not to agree with them when they are in the wrong, when they are not in the truth. Tell them about the truth. Tell them about Jesus. And it's scary. I tell you what, it takes a lot of love to love someone more than your comfort. And it, it, it is scary. But we have the Spirit of God in us that makes us want to the, to desire this for other people. He does it. He does the work. Which brings us to our third essential, obedience. It's motivated by love, and not duty. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So, faith, right? To believe in something. Is, say, Say there's one guy that says there's a rope and it's hanging off a cliff and he says, I believe that rope can hold me. Then there's another guy that says, I believe that rope can hold me. And he jumps and grabs on the rope. What guy, which man actually believed that rope could hold him? Right? And that, that is faith. And when we believe that, when we say that we believe that people are actually going to die and go to hell, the person that tells other people about Jesus, that that is the way of the truth and life, that he is the way of the truth and life, that person, believes that they would go to hell without this news. Uh, why is obedience essential to conversational evangelism? The Great Commission isn't the great suggestion. A command requires obedience. Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? When we put Jesus as Lord of our lives and us as the servants, that means Jesus is Lord of our lives. That means we do what he says. We can't say that someone's Lord of us if we uh, continue to reign in our hearts. That's just how it works. It is essential in the life of a believer. Matthew 7:21 through23: "Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven." Guzik says that these people are fulfilling some kind of religious duty with no heart, no soul, no spirit, only bare words and passing thoughts. Their relationship with Jesus isn't living. And that's what it is. It's a living relationship with our Creator. That when we truly believe that He is at our side, we will obey Him. We, w- we won't have fear. You know that song, I um, was uh, saying, My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Jesus is love. When we are standing with Jesus, there is no fear. And that the Lord has been really ministering that to me. That that He is standing not only next to me, He's standing in me. He's proclaiming the truth. It's boldness to proclaim His truth. It's not our truth that we proclaim. It's the gospel. It's His gospel. It's not ours. Praise God for that. Uh, it's about a surrendered life. Second Corinthians five fifteen. And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for them. Selves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let's go. You didn't know it was going to be a quiz today. Come on. (laughs) Um, So when God says you can live for something else, that is freedom. You can live for Jesus, right? I, I Living my life for myself, it had me in bondage. It had me in sin. And the fact that God came down, showed me his love and said, hey, you can live for me now. He breathed life into my lungs. Now I can live for Him. Isn't that such good news? Amen? That's such good news. And why would I ever want to keep that hidden? Put it on a be salt and light. We don't have... It takes more effort to cover the salt and light that the Lord has made us than to actually just be. What obedience requires? It requires hearing, believing, submitting, Hearing. Holman's Bible Dictionary defines obedience this way: to hear God's word and to act accordingly. Believing, belief or tr- or trust, that in turn motivates the hearer to act. Again, it's, you say that there's a there's a rope. It's jumping on that rope and believing. That's what we do when we when we cling on to Jesus. It was when we we believe him with our whole lives. Our lives. I desire for my life to scream that Jesus saves. If my life says that, not only my words, yes, words are important. We'll talk about that later. But if my life says Jesus saves, Jesus is king, That what greater glory? James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I deceived myself for many years. Uh Mark sixteen, fifteen. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The 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 news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, of whom we are. We are sinners, and the fact is that we are not we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay uh perishing. Because of this good news. That is the good news that we are preaching. Uh, Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples, they had a choice of whether or not they were going to follow Jesus. They had a choice whether to continue fishing or to drop everything they had and follow after the king. What about you? Have you heard his voice? Do you believe his word? And Will you do what he's asking? Obedience is worship and he is worthy. I just want to read uh, real quick Hebrews twelve one and 2. So, Hebrews 11 is the famous chapter of the uh, patriarchs of faith. So it's talking about everyone that, that just left everything to follow after Jesus because of faith, right? So then verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everything Life goes by so quick. And why would we ever live for anything else other than Jesus? If we truly set our minds on things that are eternal, Jesus is the only thing that's going to last. Right? And people in Jesus are going to be the only people that go with us to heaven. So why don't we share Jesus with people? right? And it takes love, faith, and obedience. And we're going to be talking about more. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Lydia up to talk about obedience. No, boldness.
2: (laughs) Hi, guys. Um, As Paul said, I'm Lydia. Um, I'm 19 years old, and I'm also from upstate New York um, in the Lakey area up there. It's okay if you don't know where that is, like Paul said. Um, (laughs) And I'm going to be sharing on boldness, um, so I used to think that boldness was feeling completely comfortable with myself being like, yes, I can go out and share the gospel. I can do this. Um, I know I can do this. Like I'm not scared at all, but that is not what boldness is. Um, boldness is having courage and courage is not a lack of fear. It's pressing past your fear. Um, so what does that look like for a Christian? Um, Boldness is having the confidence to step out of your comfort zone to do things that you can never do on your own I'm gonna be honest guys. I would not be up here today sharing with you guys if it was not for god's boldness in my heart right now um because I Am terrified i'm sharing in front of crowds or sharing in front of people So, um, it's by his grace that i'm standing up here sharing with you guys today because he's given me his boldness because I definitely cannot do it on my own um so now that we've talked about what boldness is, this is what boldness is not. Uh people who are half-hearted or indifferent by definition are not bold. You'll never be bold or used by God if this is where you remain. Oops. So first you have to ask yourself, do you care? And more importantly, do you care enough to do something about it? I feel like it's so easy as Christians to come into church and sit in these chairs and listen to the pastor preach. Um But we so often sugarcoat the fact that people are actually going to hell, you know, people are dying. People are actually burning in hell right now because people didn't, they didn't accept Jesus um, as their savior. Like Paul talked about, they're already condemned. What are we doing as a church if we're just coming in and sitting in these chairs every Sunday and not sharing the truth of Jesus with people? And the only reason that I'm so like passionate about this is because I sat in those same chairs. I sat in the same spot and I Um told myself It's okay. I'm going to church every sunday. What more does the lord want me to do? Like I'm I'm doing my thing I'm doing what i'm supposed to do And it's we are called as christians to care for people We're called as christians to love them enough to tell them the truth. Um It's time like as christians that we step past our own personal fears our own personal Anxieties and step out and share the truth with people. It's putting ourselves aside and letting jesus work in us um boldness comes from his spirit Uh acts 1 8 says but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem And in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth um, we can't do anything on our own guys. It's all from his spirit that we receive that power It's all from him that we receive um, the strength to go out and press past our fear to share with people <clears throat> God gives us the boldness to speak Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Second Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. This world today is so empty. It's so empty. It has such a lack of hope. There's nothing that anybody can hold on to. And we, as Christians, have this amazing news. We have this hope that we can share with people. And it is our job to share that with people. It is our job. No matter who you are, you don't have to. We say this a lot. Um... You don't have to be a pastor you can go out like god has called each one of us We have a sphere of influence that he's placed each of us in and I can't share with the people who god has placed you In that area god has placed each one of us in a specific place to be his witnesses and I We it's specific to you like you are the one who has to do it um So do not neglect that that job that god has given us, you know to share the peop- uh to share the truth with the people around us um and like like I said, like if we care about them, we're gonna do it. If you don't care, you won't do it. <laughs> so you have to ask yourself that. Um, words are necessary. Paul had mentioned that um, we would get to this. Uh, you've probably heard this phrase: share the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Um, it's a common phrase, but it is false. Words are always necessary. Um, Sorry. First Peter 315 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Um, there are so many people out there, guys, that are good people. There's people who um, just walk around and they're nice and they're happy and they're good. Um, but we in and of ourselves, we're not good we're not good people. We are actually horrible people. Without Jesus, we have no good in and of ourselves. So we need to share that it's Jesus who's done the work in us. We need to share that it's Jesus who's changed our lives because we have nothing to offer on our own. It's only by him that we have goodness and, um, and love for people. So words are always necessary in that. Romans ten fourteen says how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them it is our job to go and share the good news with the people it is our job to preach the good news so um, I'm going to read you guys a verse really quick uh, Jeremiah 29 says um Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Guys, if your hearts are not on fire for Jesus, if you don't feel a burning in your soul to share the good news with somebody, then ask yourself What am I doing? Ask Jesus to give you that fire, to give you that passion, to go out and share. Um, He's given me that passion. I did not have it before. I did not want to go out and share the gospel with people. But he filled my heart with a fire. He filled my heart with passion to go and share the good news with people. I'm going to read really quick a Spurgeon quote. Um, It says, if sinners be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. I'm going to leave you guys with that today and I'm going to call up Serena. So as she said, my name is Serena. I'm going
3: to stand off to the side because I'm too short for the podium. But um, So today I will be talking about prayer. And Paul had shared that in Acts 4.31. In the beginning of it, it says, and when they prayed. It was when they prayed that they were um, filled with His Spirit. And so I'm going to start off with a quote from R.A. Torrey. It says, The most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Every great awakening in the history of the church from the time of the apostles until today has been the result of prayer. There have been great awakenings without much preaching, and there have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization, but there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. And it's so common in our church today to always talk about how we want an awakening or a change or a revival, you know, but why are we not praying for that? You know, we talk about it, but do we truly desire it? Because if we truly desired it, we would bring that to our Father. We would bring that request to our Father, and He listens to us. He answers us. Psalm 34, 4 says, I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. He freed me from all my years. He prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. The most, um, the two most unattended church meetings is evangelism trainings and prayer meetings. The two most crucial parts of being a Christian is to pray and be in communion with the Lord and to go out and share that with others. So we should be praying and learning how to evangelize, which is what we're doing today. Um, so I'm going to share some statistics of the church today. of millennial Christians believe it's wrong to share their faith with someone who has a different belief. That is completely wrong. That statement is wrong. As Paul had shared, love does not mean agree with. It means to speak truth and to share truth out of love for them. 71% of Christians don't think it's their responsibility to share their faith. Again, God has called us. He says that we have to, not a have to, but he asked that of us. He has asked that to do that. And if we truly loved him out of obedience, we would. 95% 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. We may never lead someone to Christ, but at least we tried, at least we did an act of service of love to our Father, and, you know, it, um, James will share, or Caleb or James will share this later, but Paul says, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We never, may never see someone come to Christ, but at least we are planting seeds. 80% admit they don't witness to others around them. How many people do we see a day? How many people do we go to the store and see? How many people do we see at work or school? And we're not witnessing to any of them? Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. And it's not even necessarily the ministry of evangelism that we should be involved in. It should be life on mission. We should walk out these doors and be equipped to go share the gospel at all times, ready to go and evangelize to others around us. Um, so we watched a documentary uh, in my pro, in my term, and it's there's a story in there about a couple who moved from Iran to America, and they were Christians. And um, after several months, the wife began to beg her husband to go back to Iran. When he asked her why she would give up her religious freedom to return to the persecution of Iran, she responded, There is a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. A satanic lullaby all the Christians are sleepy. We've fallen asleep as a church, as a whole, as Christ's bride. We have fallen asleep. We have become lenient and loved others and just let them live in their sin instead of pleading with them. Like Lydia was sharing, like at their feet, begging, please don't go and holding on and really loving them enough to tell them that we've fallen asleep. We need to wake up. If that's in our own heart where we've become lenient and lax and Apathetic towards this we need to pray and ask the Lord to change our heart. He will change our heart He is faithful to do that. I didn't care one bit about anyone going out going to hell. Honestly I would go to church get my little fix feel good about myself Read my Bible every once in a while and say, okay, it's fine. I'm good But how many people do I see my family members do not believe in God and I did nothing about it I didn't care We really need to ask the Lord to change our hearts And prayer does change our heart. Um, Does your heart break like the Apostle Paul's for the lost? Romans 9, 2-3 says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Do we have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for the people that are perishing, that are condemned? Romans 10 1 says brothers and sisters my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved Is that our heart's desire? Is that our prayer that others might be saved? Because if it's not we seriously need to come to the Lord and confess that first off and say Lord My heart is not not for your ministry, but I'm willing that you change my heart Paul knew prayer was essential Ephesians 6:18 through 20 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given, to, given me, so that I will fearlessly make known that mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, and that word fearlessly goes back to boldness. It's not that there is no fear, but it is that it doesn't matter. It's a, um, a lack of because when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, when it's just him and we just want to serve him, there, the fear doesn't matter. We just want to follow him. We are fixed on him. Everything else around us doesn't matter. And it's just Jesus and what he asked of us. And Jesus knew prayer was essential as well. He taught us to pray, and specifically for evangelism. Matthew nine thirty-seven 37-38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He says, pray that they would send out workers. But if no one goes, we should still be going ourselves. If God has called us, we have to make that decision in our own heart before we can go and bring others along with us. There's that song that we learned as kids. Um, I've decided to follow Jesus, and though, and you know, another line says, "Though none go with me, still I will follow." Like, if God has called you to do this, then go. You go first, and others will come along. If no one else comes along, still go. So now Caleb's going to come and talk about what is the gospel.
0: So Serena talked about if God's called you to do this, but the Bible says that we're all called to share the gospel. So we're all called to share the gospel. But first, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means, literally means good news. Evangelism, or euangelion, is where we get the word evangelism, meaning to go and share the good news that we have come to know. And the gospel is not just good news. It's the best news ever. Amen? Because the gospel is what saved us. The grace of God is Jesus Christ, and that is what that is what delivered us from darkness to to light. And the gospel is a simple message. Ultimately, it's John 3:16 in a nutshell. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That God sent his son who lived a perfect life to die for us. He was crucified He rose again on the third day. And if we die with him, we will also live with him, he says. It's simple. And you don't need to be anything. You don't have to have... You know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, you know. You don't have to have gone to and studied for years and gone to seminary and all these things. You just have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love in Acts 4.13 when Peter and John are brought before, before the religious leaders. And it says that when they when they when they they're brought before the religious leaders and they ha, they show no fear when they're brought before them and it says that when they came before them they marveled because they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and when they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men they knew that they had been with Jesus and that that's all that matters and it's simple enough for a child to understand and we will spend our whole lives and I'm realizing this more and more growing in the understanding of the grace of God and His love for us. And so when we go out and share the gospel, what we're sharing is the love of God that we have received in Him. And that's what compels us to share the gospel, is the grace and forgiveness we have received. So, number one, be led led by the Spirit. You know, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here are some tools, though, in sharing the gospel. Prayer, which is obviously essential. Gospel tracts. Um, which we we have we'll have over here on our table, um, five questions, talking points, the law which is necessary to lead people to repentance and to the grace of God, and of course always Scripture. All all, all evangelism is founded in Scripture, the Word of God. And so, firstly, um, the essential prayer, praying of course for that God will open doors for us to share the gospel. But when you're out and you're going out to evangelize or um, you're just going about your day, be aware, be mindful, ask the Lord, you know, is there someone I can pray for? You know, a lot of times we'll be walking around sharing the gospel and we'll say, hey, uh, can I pray for you? You know, is there anything I can pray for you? And a lot of times people are very open to this and it opens a door. You know, they see you care about them. They might have an illness, you know, they might have, um, they might just be suffering emotionally, whatever it may be. And it opens the door of their heart. And a lot of times it it opens the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And when you pray, you can pray over them. You know, for God so loved Katie that he gave his only son, that if Katie believes in him, she will not perish, but have everlasting life. Um... Secondly, gospel tracks, and they're just a small card. Many of you might be familiar with them, but they're a small card with a gospel message on them. They're easy to carry, um, and they're quick and easy to hand out. And they just—they they just kind of break the ice. You know, it leads—it can oftentimes lead to a further conversation. You can just say, "Hey, did you get one of these?" Um, but the great thing about gospel tracks is, gospel tracks have saved thousands of lives. Um, many, many people have come to Christ through gospel tracks because. A lot of times, people didn't even get into a conversation with the individual that gave them the track, but because they have the Word of God on it, the gospel, that's that does all the work. It's the Word of God that does the work. So gospel tracks are so powerful. Um, five question talking points. Um, these are so important talking points because they find out what people are trusting and what they're putting their faith in. Everyone puts their faith in something. You know, even an atheist is is, is banking on that there is no God. So everyone is putting their faith in something. So we want to find out what are people believing in. Um, And it's important in evangelism to listen to people. You know, it's so important to ask questions and and um, let people felt heard out. You know, ultimately, our our purpose is to love them and to lead them to the truth. You know, and a lot of times that comes by letting people speak, you know, their beliefs and listening to them and loving them through that. So some great questions. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? To you who is Jesus, I love this one because we just came out of Utah and there's many, many Mormons. And if you talk about Jesus, they're like, yeah, I'm on the same page with you, right? Amen. Let's go. But it's a false Christ. <laughs> false Christ, though, you know, different Jesus. So uh, number three, if you died right now, where would you go? Very important. Um, some people don't believe in heaven, you know. So, um, you know, some people believe you'll be turned to stardust. Many different things. Um, there's many different beliefs out there. If there is a heaven, will you go there? And five, why would God let you into heaven? And this is probably my personal favorite when talking with someone, you know. If God, if you were to die today and stand before God, why should he let you into heaven? And most people's response, because I'm a good person. And this is most humanity, right? We want to believe that we are good people. And so what do we do when people respond this way when we're sharing the gospel? We have to give them the good person test. And the good person test is the law. The law, the Ten Commandments. And so when you're talking with someone and you've come to this point, you know, you're sharing the gospel, they, they say, I'm a good person, and so you say, hey, have you ever, Mark, have you ever told a lie? Uh, no. Well, they just lied there. I actually just had someone the other day who he told me, he, he never stole, he never, he never lied. You know, but, so that's a lie there, but you have to, you have to, the, the humble person will admit that they have done that. You know, the humble person will admit, I have lied, I have stolen. But if they don't admit to that, then um, you take you take them to, you shall not murder. But And most people will say, well, no, I've never murdered someone. But Jesus said that if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of the judgment in your heart. So Jesus took it past the exterior, and he saw the heart. And no one can run away from the thoughts of their heart. We're all condemned by our heart. And so... Uh, Commandment seven too, you shall not commit adultery, and most people will say they have not committed adultery, but Jesus said in Matthew five twenty eight that if you've looked up at with lust at in your heart, if you lusted after someone with your heart, then you're guilty of adultery, and so this exposes that it's not about just what you do, it's about the thoughts and the heart, and we all know the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so when you've run, when you've told someone the law. We say, law to the proud, grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're sharing with someone, and um, they're not recognizing their sin, they're not willing to admit it, then they need the law. But if someone does recognize their sin, and they're they're like, I, I'm going to hell, which we've met people like that. You know, I, God would never let me in. I'm a horrible person. Then take them straight to the good news, the grace of God. You know, when we were there, when I was there, God didn't say, hey, five more minutes. Like, No. Jesus is at the door knocking. He's always ready for us when we're willing to surrender our lives to Him. So take them straight to the good news of Jesus Christ, God's grace, salvation. And then lastly, sharing scripture. And um, this is, of course, should be in everything we do evangelizing. But this is a way that you can simply just work your way through. These are some scriptures, and there's so many. And we actually have um, some pamphlets over here with this layout on it, if you want to take some. But um, these scriptures run through, you know, sin, how to be born again. And so Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. And John 3.3 talks, says you have to be born again to have relationship with Jesus. And that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to the Father. Romans 10:9 through 10 if you confess with the mouth your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved it's believing on the name of Jesus that saves and 2 Corinthians 5:15 that we must surrender our lives we've been called out of death to life that we would lay down our lives now for for Jesus Christ and become his servant and serve others and Revelation 3:20 it's our choice ultimately Jesus is always willing to receive anyone We have to humble ourselves to receive him. And in evangelism, of course, that is that is everything. To come to Jesus, we have to. We all, if you've come to Jesus, you humbled yourself. You recognize your sin. And Jesus was right there waiting. I'm going to finish with a Charles Spurgeon quote. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let a lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Ultimately, you know, we don't have to be well-spoken. We don't have to have... Some great charm or charisma. All we have to have is the word of God. And the word of God will always accomplish his purposes. And we can take courage and boldness in that. That it's his words. Um, I'm going to invite my friend James up to share on apologetics. How you guys doing?
4: Still awake? Yeah? Praise the Lord. Um... So I'm going to talk about apologetics, but first off, I'm James, I'm 20 years old, I'm from Oakhurst, California, if any of you know where that is, and um, yeah, I'm here to talk to you about apologetics, uh, I want to lead with knowing that off of what we just talked about, that Charles Spurgeon quote, you know, we don't need to come here to defend the Word of God, the Word of God stands for itself, we're not here to defend God, and so first and foremost, uh, I think of Ecclesiastes 6.11, you know, it says, the more the words, the less they mean, so what good are they, Right? It's like, it's not about talking someone into the faith, right? It's about simply proclaiming a reason that showed that they know, they have a knowledge of God, right? So that is what apologetics is first and foremost about. Um, but apologetics, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which is a reason, argument, and defense of a belief. In this instance, it's our belief in the gospel. And so, uh, in First Peter 3.15... It says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. That word defense is apologia. Uh, but I want to stress this last point. But do this with gentleness and respect. You must recognize that though their views are not based on the truth, they are valid nonetheless. Right? There is validity. They have valid reasons to believe what they believe. Though they are deceived, we should still treat them with respect and gentle. Right? Um, Jesus himself, he used reason as well as the scriptures, and that is also what we are called to do. That's what apologetics all about. It's using logic and reason based on the scriptures. And uh, when talking to the Sadducees, Jesus said, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And so everything we are to speak of is based fully on the Bible, on the word of God. And that is important in any discussion. When you're talking about God, rely on his word, because that is how we learn about the power of God. As well as through personal experience, but we learn about God through his scriptures, right? Um, Paul in Titus one nine, he lays down qualifications for elders. But to summarize that he's pretty much just saying they must be a mature Christian, right? So to be an elder, you must be a mature Christian. And this is a major thing that he says that denotes a mature Christian. And that is that they're able to encourage those with sound doctrine And refute those who oppose it. And I think we as Christians should strive for that. The ability to encourage those with sound doctrine based off the word of God. And refute those who oppose it based off the word of God. Um, So today I'm going to go over some misconceptions as well as some common objections you may encounter when partaking in conversational evangelism. First and foremost of the misconceptions is I said the sinner's prayer... I'm good. This is probably one of the most common misconceptions you'll encounter. And the thing about the sinner's prayer is that it does not save anybody, right? Jesus does. It's a relationship with him. Now, the sinner's prayer is just the initiation of that relationship. It is not the finish line, though. That's not what saves you. It's the trust and the faith that you are proclaiming by praying the sinner's prayer, right? And so, it's about knowing Jesus. It's not like this is some magical prayer, right? A lot of people... I mean, even I myself, when I was younger, believed that. Oh, I said this in his prayer, so now I'm magically going to go to heaven, right? No, It's it's about actually fully believing the words that you're saying when you're proclaiming this vow to God, right? Making this covenant with him. And proof is in a changed life. 1 John 2, 3-4. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Uh, That's a very, very hard-hitting verse. And it's honestly probably one of the most convicting ones in my life. Is the one that really hit me when I was in this state of mind where I was thinking, I'm good, right? I got a relationship with God, but I'm not doing what he commands, right? Like, it's, I'm praising him with my lips, but my heart was far from him, right? I was a liar. And so, according to the Word of God, and that's the highest form of standard to know truth. So, according to the Word of God, anyone who falls under this misconception is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So it's important to stress this to people who think that they are saved just because of a prayer. And it really does come up, it's even good to ask proclaiming Christians, how are you gonna go to heaven? Right? It's even important to ask that to people who claim to believe. It's like, oh, how do you know you're going to heaven? Right? A lot of them say, well, because of, I do, I go to church, I do good things, or because I said the sinner's prayer. And it's important to show, are they really putting their trust in Jesus Christ, or off their own works? You know? Another misconception, is I was raised in a Christian home. In fact, this is another one I fell victim to as well. Um, you cannot inherit salvation from your Christian family. Just because your uncle is a pastor or your mom prays for you does not mean you're going to heaven, right? Um, the choice is yours. Romans 14, 11 through 12, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that in each of us shall give an account of himself to God. This is another thing that's important to press... Proclaiming Christians, because a lot of people claim, yeah, I know Jesus, you know, it's like, well or or they say, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home, you know, and my whole family believes in Jesus, so I believe in Jesus, you know. It's not their own faith. So it's important to recognize that when you die, you're going to come before God himself. Your mom's not going to be there holding your hand, your pastor's not going to be there, it's just you and God, and you must give an account of the choice you made concerning his blood that was shed, whether you trust it or not. And so it's important to express this to them as well, you know. Just because you're raised in a Christian home does not mean you know Christ. Um, Another misconception, if it will click, is I'll just ask for forgiveness after I die. I personally have not encountered anyone who's under this misconception. But nonetheless, it has, has been, this is a belief some people may have. So it's important to express that. Yeah, I think it really stems from that whole belief, oh, it's never too late to turn to God. It's important to tell them, once you die, it's too late, right? And so, it says in Hebrews 9, 27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. It's important to, because if everyone's honest with themselves, if you don't know Jesus, you have the fear of death. It's only Jesus Christ that liberates you from that fear. So we can walk into any conversation with that presupposition, presupposing that they are afraid to die because they don't know Jesus, right? So when you point that out, it's like, yeah, When you the, the importance of their mortality. A wise man considers his mortality. That's an important thing to bring into the conversation. Really with anybody, and especially with people who are claiming to be Christians, but don't actually trust in Christ, you'll see that they actually don't know Christ because they still have the fear of death. So today is the day of salvation. It's important to stress that too. Yeah, on this side of mortality, there's never too late. And when you're talking to people, you like you can say you can have a personal relationship with Jesus right now, right here, right now. And you'd be surprised. There's one time we're in Myrtle Beach and we're all talking to this older gentleman and uh conversation wasn't going too well according to my perspective. He's like very hard hearted. He's like, Ah, I don't want it, you know, seemingly. And so at the end we're just gonna walk away, you know, but one of my, my uh friends on my term, he asked him, he's like, I have to ask you, do you want to accept Jesus? You know, today's the day of salvation. Now I'm like, he's just wasting his time, you know, there's no way he's going to accept Jesus. He's like, yeah, actually, I think I would. Uh, totally God. But just, just, that is an example of the importance of just he's telling people that, you know. Today is the day of salvation. You can choose right here, right now. 2 Corinthians two. indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, we're going to some common objections. First of which being, the Bible is unreliable. This is a very big one, right? enemy doesn't have very many weapons in his arsenal, but the ones he does, he uses them very effectively, right? Did God really say that? Is that really the word of God, right? We use the acronym MAPS, and MAPS, first of which being M, manuscripts, evidence that our Bible is unchanged. We have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament, more than any other historical document, and 5,800 of them being in the original Greek, Right? More than any other historical, the only, thing, only historical document that comes close is Homer's Iliad. And they have 1,800 manuscripts, the earliest of which being written 200 years after the original writing of it. Now for our New Testament, the earliest manuscript we have is 70 years after the initial writing of our of Gospel of Mark. So there's no other historical document that has more historical evidence that has been consistent all throughout history other than the Bible. So even that in itself, it undermines the whole entire argument. Now, we got archaeology, evidence of the Bible's history. More discoveries proven the Bible every year. Once upon a time, they didn't even believe King David existed, let alone his city. Archaeology has proven that King David did indeed exist, just as the Bible claimed, and the city of David is indeed a historical fact, right? And there's never been an archaeological discovery that has disproved the Bible. That's another very, very important thing. Prophecy. Evidence of the Bible's claims. There's over 2,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled. Chances of 48 being 1 and 10 to the 157th power. That's 157 zeros and that's just concerning 48. We're talking 2,000 prophecies. What more do we need, right? Now, this is my favorite one. Sanctification. Evidence of the Bible's authority today. Proven by its ability to change our lives. Now listen, they can argue with you all they want concerning manuscripts, archaeology, prophecy, but concerning the fact that you were one way before you knew Jesus and now you're a whole new creation because of the blood of Christ, they can never argue or refute that. If they try, there's no basis to the argument. I am most certainly a new creation. I am set free from my sin. He's broken my chains. Now, another common objection, probably the most common objection, there is no God. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There's no such thing as an agnostic. Everybody has knowledge of God. Everybody knows there's a a creator, right? Whether they admit it or not is another thing, but God has made it obvious. And God doesn't judge you according to the knowledge that you lack. He judges you according to the knowledge that you do have. And we have all creation testifying to the fact that we have a Creator, and they also have their conscience. This is what Romans one is talking about. That though they knew the truth of God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Right? Everybody has knowledge of God because God shows compassion on all His creation, and He is a very compassionate God and a relational God. He wants a relationship, and He makes Himself known to everybody, all of His creation. Now, this is Bob Ross. Bob Ross, he paints happy little trees. Um, But our God, he creates magnificent, beautiful galaxies as well as individuals like yourselves, right? This is the teleological argument. A building must have a builder. A painting must have a painter. So also the universe must have a designer. And when you look at a structure such as this one, you don't think, oh, well, after millions and millions of years, there's some hurricanes and, you know, a whole bunch of just degradation, all this, and it just came to be, you know, just so. It just happened, you know. And people argue, give time and chance a chance, right? But no. We know that this, there's intelligence behind this design. There is an intelligent conscience that was behind the structure being actually raised. Just as with all creation. There is a divine creator and a designer. Now, this is the, another common objection my generation eats up. They love it. It says, all roads lead to heaven. Can this be true? No. Logically speaking, it is most certainly a fallacy. It breaks the law of non-contradiction. A statement can't be both true and false simultaneously. A circle can't be a square. Um, you know, all these religions, they have different truth claims, right? Buddha claimed one thing, Muhammad claimed another. But our Lord Jesus Christ boldly proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one goes to the Father except through him. Now, either he is true in saying what he said, or he is wrong. There's no in between. And Jesus proved himself to be true. This bold truth claim that our Lord proclaimed is proven by the fact that God the Father put his wrath upon him. Jesus Christ died just as he predicted. And he rose three days later just as he predicted. He took the wrath of God and survived. Only God can do that. Only God can take the wrath of God and survive it. And his grave is empty. There is no bones in his grave. Now you can try to ask Buddha what he thinks. You can try to ask Muhammad. Yeah, you know, give it a defense for yourself. Give it an account. He's dead, but Jesus Christ, He is living and He's reigning today. And if you know Him, He's living inside of you, and that is proof enough. So I hope you're encouraged. Um, you know, I don't want you to think that this is some kind of pep talk, right? I'm not here to hype you up and you walk out fleshly confident. You know, it's not a pep talk. It's not like a self help rally. I'm not here to tell you that oh, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Go spread the gospel, right? No, it's fully dependent on Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. Everything is centered on Christ, the completed work of the cross. And we also have an enemy, right? An enemy will discourage you. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? Must solely depend on God. You may think, I'm too busy. Or that's the pastor's job to tell someone about Jesus. Or that's just not my personality to do that. That may be true. It may not be your personality. But you have a command by God. And if you love him, his love compels you to be obedient to that command, right? He said, go and be my witness, and they'll know you by your love for one another, because he has shared his glory with us. He's allowed us to partake in his divine nature. He allows us to be used as his vessels so that his love can be expressed through us to this world, right? The world will know that I love them because of your love for one another, right? Because you are one just as we are one. Telling someone about Jesus is way too awkward. It sometimes is, actually, very awkward, right? Right? But it's not dependent on me. I'm not here to represent myself or my works. I'm here to tell you that and express and represent the completed work of the cross. And I have no doubt in that. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. That's also most likely the case. Uh, especially when you're talking about the gospel. But I mean, that's probably always the case, you know? A lot of people don't want to hear what we have to say. But it's concerning Jesus Christ. This is worth saying no matter what they think, right? This isn't just some opinion. This is the truth. That person is going to yell at me and reject me. Uh, Greater is, who are we trying to please, right? We're trying to please God. We're not trying to please men. I don't care if they get mad. God can use you, right? Isn't that such good news? God loves you so much. He loves me so much. Me, the wretched James Wilkins that I am. He loves me so much that he uses me because I simply yield. If you're too shy, fearful, nervous, or uncomfortable, if you don't think you know enough, if you are simply willing, that's what it comes down to. doesn't matter about your knowledge. doesn't matter about anything other than the fact that you simply are willing and you trust in God, right? Uh, Isaiah 40, 31 says that in the NLT. Those who trust in God will find new strength. If you just trust in God, it doesn't matter about your shyness or your timidity. It's about your God. First Corinthians one twenty one. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom... He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Our God is so wise that he uses fools. Yeah, man, that's just the most encouraging thing I, that I know. That though I am a fool, God uses me for his glory. And he wants to use all of his sons and daughters that he's saved by his blood to bring more glory to him. To let others know that our God is worth worshipping. He's worth praising. That's all evangelism is. See someone who isn't worshiping God and tell him, hey, you were made to worship him. That's why you're not feeling fulfilled. right? And that's what evangelism is. I know the Christ. You know, just as Nathaniel with Philip, right? I know the Christ. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he asks, is anything good come of Nazareth? And notice he doesn't say, oh, no, 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 Jesus, he, he said this to me or he did this for me. No, he simply said, come and see. I know the Christ. I worship Jesus. And you can too. Come and see for yourself. Check it out. That's all evangelism is. To proclaim the praises of him who is called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 4.14 If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And that's all that matters. That God is glorified. If they accept Christ, it's a win. There is no losing when you're on the winning side. When you're on the king's side. When you're in service to the king, you cannot lose. Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If they just listen and walk away, it's a win. 1 Corinthians 3.6-9, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Even if they reject the truth, it's a win. 1 Peter 4.14, on their part he's blasphemed, but on your part he's glorified. All that matters is you are simply willing, and his love will compel you to be. So if you got any questions, uh, i can. I like to call Caleb up. But actually, before I do that, I uh, actually want to read this psalm. Because this is, I think, what a lot of this is all about. All right, Psalms 107. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And here's the question. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. And that's what this is all about. If... You are truly redeemed and you know you were redeemed. You know you were loved. You know the truth. You are set free by that truth that Jesus loves you. Then you just proclaim the praises of him who has done this. That's all it's about. That's all it's about. So I love you guys. Thank you for having us here.